0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Um, thank you all for joining us. This week, we have Nathan Chung, hope I pronounced that right, yes. on with us. And um, we'll be discussing the topic of uh, neurodiversity and diversity within cybersecurity, specifically. Um, As a reminder to anyone that's following us, make sure you subscribe on LinkedIn, you follow us on um, YouTube, and you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. Um, Feel free to submit questions. If we see questions, um, we'll be able to tackle them along the way and help address anything that the community wants to hear from us. So uh, first, Nathan, do you want to give us a little bit about uh, a little background about yourself and uh, what brought you to cybersecurity?
1: Sure. And absolutely, uh, Chris, uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. So right now, uh, I'm a senior consultant at Microsoft, it's a new job I started back in March. I got into cybersecurity maybe five or six years ago. My very first job in cyber was working at Gymboree, a kid's retailer which no longer exists, sadly. My first job, I started doing a lot of audit compliance. And it was a great learning really experience for me, especially since when the manager quit about two months in. So I had to learn a lot (laughs) on my own short period of time. Mm
0: -hmm. Perfect. Um, So how was audit for you? Like, um, was that something that initially interests you? Like what brought you into the audit side of things?
1: It was a entry level position. And at the time I was working in IT and I just wanted to get in cyber because that's, it's it's a hot field and there's a lot of jobs. So I, I think that's what, that's why I gravitated towards cybersecurity at the time.
0: Okay, and how have your views changed in regards to um, your approach and your transition?
1: Well, like all IT and cyber jobs, it's it's a constant race. Like new technology are always popping up. Like uh, now, the big the big name now is cloud. So I had to pass years. So I made the transition from just security to now. I'm now I'm doing cloud security. So, that is a constant challenge for every person I in see inside. We're just keeping up with the new technology.
0: Okay, okay. Um, so, I know one of the things that you're very, very passionate about is um, neuro- neurodiversity. Um, do you want to explain, set a baseline for everyone that's listening? Um, what exactly is neurodiversity and how is it different from the other diversity that we always hear about?
1: Sure. Neurodiversity is not often talked about, sadly. I myself, I have ADHD and autism. So when people hear that, the the atypical natural thinking is I'm different and they start treating me differently, that is a disservice and does discriminate against people like me because it's been shown that many people who are neurodiverse are really good in cyber. Like example, in Israel, they have an entire military unit that's mostly full of people who are similar to me, who are who have been proving themselves to really excel at the basic cyber jobs, like looking at log uh, log, log analysis and looking at uh, detecting threats. So that alone proves that neurodiverse individuals are really good at cyber. But also the caveat is cyber is not the only job that's good for people who are neurodiverse or just many jobs. It's like, you gotta unlock your creativity and be able to explore what, what That's best for you at your, given your life journey at the time.
0: And for you, what about cyber really resonated for you? Because um, you mentioned audit. I mean, for me, like just thinking about audit makes my skin crawl. Um, <laughs> like I personally don't like audit. Uh, I love consulting. I love strategy. Um, but the fact to think to go through line by line, uh, log by log or something like that, like that, that totally doesn't interest me. What about audit interests you?
1: So that's a good point. So I did struggle with audit compliance. And mm-hmm. my first job, I was very successful after the magic. Uh, I was able to get the entire organization PCI DSS compliant, which was difficult, like doing it most mostly by myself. So I had to partner with the other cyber and IT groups to make, make it happen. Mm-hmm. But I echo your sentiment. It, it is a hard and very difficult uh, job to do. Now, as a consultant, I do you feel that consulting is a better fit, especially for me? Because mm-hmm. there's a defini- definitive start and end to every project. So that, like, you, you're not working for infinity. So that, that gives me a little more peace.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And when it comes to um, other individuals that might have, like, um, ADHD or autism, what are some of the skill sets that they might have that they would excel in? Um, that organizations can take advantage of and use that as a tool in their arsenal versus looking at it as a disability?
1: Ah, so that's a really great question, Chris. One good skill that comes to mind is essentially finding a needle in a haystack, like, like for in a, a sock rolls, and just looking at rows upon rows of a sturdy data and log data, that is very tedious to work, and that will bore a lot of people to death but for people like me and some some individuals just myself they can actually enjoy it they can stare at a computer all day and actually enjoy it and just be totally focused looking at log data all day one example uh when i was working at another retailer i remember an exec was getting locked out of his iphone and a lot of people they were just struggling looking at the logs to try to What is causing this exec to get locked out? Mm -hmm. I was parsing through all that log data. I was able to find the root cause of that in roughly one hour. So that's a demonstration of of neurodiversity being an advantage. Now, can you imagine if more companies do similar to what they do in Israel, just have specialized units working in a SOC, just looking at data, that can translate to a competitive advantage for some companies to be able to detect that adversary. That is, You also detect, detect an adversary and attack is crucial to to, uh, to address cybersecurity risks and to lessen the damage an attacker might cause, just be able to detect them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um- And this study or this um, airing of like 60 Minutes was maybe a year ago now, but I know there's other examples of that. For example, in Germany, there's an insurance company that has a whole division um, focused on the neurodiverse workforce and bringing them in, but finding, like you said, that right skill set for them. Yes. Not all of them were focused on analytics or pattern recognition. There mm-hmm. were others focused on, uh, solving critical problems or looking at, um, things from their approach. Uh, cause if you're colorblind, you'll never notice that these colors, um, affect people. So how, how does that affect other things? Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a competitive advantage that companies can consider. Um, over the past couple of years, have you seen an increase in the United States of companies looking to um, increase their capacity of managing neuro- neurodiverse individuals and using that as a competitive advantage?
1: In fact, yes. Uh, there has been a few companies like Microsoft, where I'm at, they, they're just a huge push to hire neurodiverse workers. Other companies as well, like uh, SAP, EY, even Dell. So I do believe that Companies are waking up and starting to see the benefits, but the approach to hire neurodiverse workers is still more or less broken at many companies. Because there's the interview process alone is a huge barrier. Like when I go to interviews, it's very stressful and can, can be a bit of a nightmare, not, mm-hmm. not just for me, but for other people. The interview process itself is essentially it's like a social dance. It comes down to more not necessarily bring the skill right skills to the table. It's more like, like, do you like me enough to be able to work with me? And for many people with neurodiverse questions, it's really hard. It's usually can either like blank out or just not have the right answer. And that, that to an interviewer is usually a red flag that this is a problem, we should not hire this person. So that alone, it, it's a huge wall that will just shut out a lot of people who are neurodiverse like from the get go.
0: And what are some of the strategies that you might recommend for uh, just a quick improvement there in, in the hiring and recruiting and onboarding process?
1: Yep. Great question. Sometimes just asking the person, what do they need? Ask, just ask for a combination of what they need. Like me personally, I would ask for things like uh, interviewing remotely and also asking for the questions ahead of time that just takes the edge off and anxiety just goes away and I'm free to be be my best self in the interview. That Mm -hmm. really helped.
0: Wow, that's that's very interesting. Um, And I know getting hired is just the first part of the problem. Uh, um, When it comes to retention and operating at your maximal, um, what are some of the challenges that You've seen from hiring managers or managers in general that are managing um, individuals with neurodiversity. Like, um, I'm guessing it's not the same like managing everyone else. Um, that's an mm. assumption on my part. Um, I guess being normal. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you make a, a good point because one common theme I'm hearing from the, diverse, the neurodiversity committee is. The it's the managers that are sometimes a problem, quite frankly, because they are so used to they are trained and so used to managing people who are neurotypical, who are normal or able to just do things a certain way. It's like ramming a round peg into a square hole. It mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. But sometimes it's just simple as to make things better. Sometimes it's not as simple as asking, what do you need to, to do the job?
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. I have some friends that that tackle this problem head on, they're more vocal. They would ask for things like this captions for meetings or having a tr- transcript of meeting notes. Small things like that make a huge difference and can help a neurodiverse person excel. Also, just having a good pair of headset, <laughs> good,
0: good yeah. headset. <laughs> yeah, Locked definitely. all the noise. Yeah. Um, and I, I know one of the things managing people is hard in general. Yes. Um, so I think like trying to figure out what everyone's passions are, uh, ways to o- overcome any challenges that they may have, um, That that's always a challenge. When it comes to someone that do have these challenges, h- how, what's the best way to communicate with a manager your needs, your wants in, in order to be as beneficial
1: to the team as possible? Mm. So that's a hard question because... It starts with the self because a lot of people with neurodiverse are just too afraid because in the industry and globally throughout our society, there is that negative stigma that if mm-hmm. you are neurodiverse, you're going to look weird, you're going to act weird. And it just is it's perceived negatively by people in general and society. Mm-hmm. So to fix that, people just, neurodiverse people, they have to start with themselves, like, they have to feel comfortable to disclose that they are neurodiverse. Like right, this this month is uh is, is a great month for uh, to celebrate LGBTQ and and being gay. If you think about it, today in these days, it's more socially acceptable to be LGBTQ compared to being neurodiverse. That speaks to the huge progress made on that front, but now we gotta bring up people who are neurodiverse. Like we cannot a lot of people are neurodiverse. They're similar to how LGBT, LGBTQ was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Neurodiverse people are literally like in the closet as well. They're hiding. They don't want to disclose because they're afraid of being discriminated or being treated differently. Mm-hmm. So companies need to do better jobs to have the more empathy and just say, "We will support you. We will give you what you need to thrive." Just being open about that and to Reduce the barrier, I think that will go a long way, just being more open.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, I just want to share some of the comments that we have um, from our listeners. We oh, have wow. lots, of, <laughs> lots of folks coming in saying hi. Um, and we have some regulars. And then we also have some <laughs> some new folks coming on. We have uh, Simon. He mentioned staying hired is one of the challenges. Yes, um, that is a challenge. Fired several times, that he has um, Asperger's. Um, we we have other folks saying hi from around the world as well. Uh, here's a great question, um, and I'll just put it up for a little bit, but then take it down because it's so big. Mm. Um, <laughs> but can you talk about the fine line of trying to encourage employee growth and placing a lot of attention and focus on the employee who might be neurodivergent and having communication issues mm. um, and prevent discrimination?
1: I think it comes down to... So that's a really good question part of it comes down to the medium like resemble like have like for me being in person in office I struggle I struggle with social cue I just struggle with like being in a meeting in person but remote work now with the COVID and more working remotely I am a little bit more comfortable and it just makes having conversations through like uh, online meetings and IM and email. It, it is I, I'm much more comfortable there. So that's part one, just the medium. And mm-hmm. number two, just having empathy, like come down to does the manager really want you to succeed? And do they really like, what word term? Like sometimes you can feel it between just saying that they want to support you to actually doing it. Mm-hmm. A single. Actions speak louder than words.
0: And what are some of those, what what are examples of great managers that you've seen that they've um, been able to empower you in the past um, and that someone listening who is a manager can potentially use some of those uh, tactics and techniques to help their workforce?
1: So uh, part one, especially for me, is being open, just having open, honest conversation with your manager and on the manager' side, just having empathy sometimes like in a tech and cyber world, it's notorious for for ha- having long hours and burnout mm-hmm. so as a result, like when having discussions, sometimes there's it's just a rush like we just want to get the meeting over with, we just want to get to the next task. sometimes you just gotta slow down and just get into the zone, so to speak just be focused on the conversation, like kind of like what we're having now, one-on-one. That alone helps to produce having a room full of people. Just focus and be empathetic. That's part one.
0: Yeah, I, I um, recently did, um, at the employer that I worked for, we had available a... Um, a neurodiverse and inclusion um, training and some of the things that that were included in that were like um, be transparent, bring things up ahead of time, ask questions rather than state demands, um, involvement in the process rather than expecting them to take action, um, things like that.
1: Oh, and another thing would be ask open-ended questions instead of yes or no questions.
0: huge difference. Nice, nice. Um, So let's talk about um, another interesting topic that you've been um, also talking about is diversity as a whole. So it it is um, LBGQ Awareness Month. um, But we've also talked about in the past, um, trying to get diversity in general into cybersecurity. So when it comes to Having a more diverse workforce within cybersecurity, um, what are some of the, the pros that you you talk about uh, to encourage diversity within cybersecurity?
1: Yep, no, that's this is something that is near dear to my heart because, as everyone knows, like the tech world is a very specific, uh, I say demographic. I don't want to call any specific races or anything, but <laughs> everyone everyone knows. But there diversity is. Critically important because a lot of times people just want to go a certain route, and to break that group thing, that that single train of thought, we need diversity. We got, we gotta have someone in the room who will say, "Great, it's great. We're going this way, but here's another idea." It's, it's something I I I remember growing up. I, was, I remember the Challenger shuttle explosion, like when I was in school, and one of the me when. when when one reads the studies, one huge factor that led to that was groupthink mm-hmm. because everyone just assumed that nothing has ever happened to the space shuttle. So why would it have, why would anything happen today? And as a result, all the issues that engineers saw were ignored. Mm-hmm. I like, can imagine just having someone to say, wait, there's a problem. Stop. Like, the history would have been very different. Now in the cyber world, that is very much applicable even now, like, because of the burnout, a lot of time, people just want to get their job done. But without the diversity inclusion, sometimes people will miss things. People will miss the insider threat or the or hostile nation state actor trying to hack their way in. So sometimes it's very critical even today to have a person who can see that who's a different mindset. Because even among like say same gender, same race, same age even if we're all the same, the mindset of people can be different. Like some people who are trans, they could see things very differently.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, the topics we talked about on our CISO Thursday a couple of weeks ago was the the Netflix documentary, Coded Bias. Mm. Uh, and for me, what really struck is how bias has been encoded into technology yes. um, from algorithms to just the way that things are tackled, um, and, and people have accepted it for so long, and not even considered the ramifications of this bias.
1: Yep, absolutely. It's not just that, but one area which people don't even think about is the leaders. Like, for example, like if people think of Walt Disney; they think of Disneyland, all these great, wonderful uh, things he did, but. When you look at the, his personal history, he was horribly racist. He didn't like women. He didn't like Jewish people. He didn't like blacks. Like, oh my god! But our history, we put a lot of leaders like that on a pedestal. Like, can you imagine if he was alive and well today, would people be willing to step up and tell him we gotta hire, we, we need, you know, we need uh, more diversity, inclusion, We need more women? He would have said no. <laughs> can you imagine that today, but. It's like It's like a little dirty little secret in IT and cyber. There are a lot of leaders who still think that like that. Sadly, and I praise a lot of my fellow uh, men and women in cyber who have the courage to speak up on social media, social media to call out such individuals. Because as long as they're there and and keeping out women, keeping out other races, we're not going to be, we're not going to have a diverse workforce globally unless things change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in the Caribbean where I was a minority, Um, so I got to see things culturally from a different perspective. But then I was also raised with cultural values that are significantly different than Mm -hmm. here in the United States. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel to Europe, to live in Europe for a year. And being exposed to different cultures, you really see how um, individuals from different ethnic socioeconomic um, educational backgrounds um, or even like family backgrounds that live in the same city can have such a totally different approach to the same problem set and if you try to limit your workforce to everything being the same, you're not going to include um, that that wide
1: capability of problem solving in your workforce absolutely that's why I- having a diversity inclusion, not just of people, but of thought it is so critical these days. And Another area where, where which is not often discussed is ageism. Cause I think around, I think the cutoff point is roughly like around 40. So once you get, when people get past 40, the ageism and discrimination at companies, it it's sad, but it does happen. It's people are just shut out. Like they bring this tremendous wealth experience, but a lot of companies, they just, systematically shut out people like who are like past like 40, 45 is like huge wall.
0: The the funny thing to that is I've seen uh, statistics that show like um, those that are entrepreneurs, those that have been consistently working to build businesses, they tend to be more successful the older that they get, because they've, yes. they've had that experience, they've they've seen all the possible ways that things can go wrong, and yes. they take that, and then they're finally able to implement it in an organization or a new startup that you're successful in. So having young blood all the time isn't always the best thing. Um,
1: Correct. It reminds me of the story of uh, this engineer. Like he worked on the engines for a U.S. Navy combat ship so problem with the ship is the engines were just making this loud noise and just wasn't efficient and they had have these teams of engineers just trying to figure out what is wrong they spent months or almost a year trying to figure it out they bring in this old this uh elderly man one when the chief engineers who designed it who was like laid off years ago they brought him in for like one hour one bag of his hammer on the engine everything was fixed It's that one thing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) hilarious. Yeah, I I also get it often for those looking to break into cybersecurity, right? Um, Coming, whether they're coming out of the military, by this Mm. point, um, they're 30, 40 years old, they're transitioning into the corporate workforce, and they're thinking that they have to start over. Um, Oh, no. What what they don't take into consideration is all those transferable skills, right? Yes. So let's talk about from both a a neurodiversity approach, um, what some of those other skills that we kind of touched on in the beginning that can be transferred in from uh, the different fields that you said that individuals with neurodiverse backgrounds um, can have success in?
1: Yep, that's a great question. And I think in terms of transferable skills, it's not just on the job experience. That's a piece that a lot of people miss. It could be as simple as like helping out your buddy like this uh do a project or volunteer where at a nonprofit, all of those are applicable experience that should be on your resume and that you can speak to in the in the in the interview. Or even uh I remember one cyber ex- pro was telling was talking about on a webinar where he just helped a uh, his dentist even just have a, a better incident response plan, just small thing like that. That's experience. <laughs> and for uh, transferable skills, it can go across the board. Even I remember uh, one gentleman, he was a uh, he managed a, a uh, Home Depot store that's, man- that's an applicable management experience that can be used in the cyber field. Like You don't need to like, be an expert hacker or to know everything A to Z. You just have to have to build, applicable skills to do the job and be able to demonstrate it or number two, be able to learn it really quick.
0: Absolutely. Um, you're getting some really nice feedback there, <laughs> and you're awesome. Uh, that is from Benjamin McEwen. Thank you. Um, and he says that you rock. Um, some of the things that that I think about as as you're talking is that individuals with neurodiversity all, always had to struggle with overcoming obstacles and yes. finding finding ways about about problems. And that, that lends to resiliency and uh, troubleshooting skills that many overlook. What are your thoughts absolutely.
1: on Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Because a lot of people who are neurodiverse similar to me. We are we tend to be very technical. And it's not just tech either. I remember from one movie, uh, it was called Midway, where they had... Code breakers, and some of them came from, like, say, uh a band. Like, who thought that a person who was in music could be good at cryptography, which is perhaps the historical basis for cybersecurity today? Which that's an example right there. It's like if you're good at music, you might have the mindset to be good at cybersecurity. Okay. Also, the the technical pieces, like one of my very, very, very first jobs in the technical field in, uh, when I was in IT was, I was just a technician. I was, <laughs> I was really good at it too back in the day, which is a another historical, how you say, uh, entry-level job for many people who transition to cyber, just doing help desk or IT. The other piece, which is a huge barrier for many, was deciding which job in cyber is right for them. Because when people think of cybersecurity, the, default mindset is hacker or pen testing, which is completely false. Mm-hmm. I actually posted about this on LinkedIn last year where I stated that and that had a, I say a very global, I say viral discussion where like say I had around 500 hits, mm-hmm. 500 hits and comments and roughly 30,000 uh, read, uh, reads from around the world because people didn't think about that naturally default to hacker but in cybersecurity, there's just so many many jobs they're like sock there's privacy professionals there's in my view and personally even a teacher a teacher is also crucial for the cybersecurity pipeline teachers incident responders people who are just even uh do give talks on uh what do you call it security awareness training they're all crucial
0: mm-hmm Absolutely. One of the comments from um, Benjamin mentioned yep. that um, some disciplines I like, like that. Uh, music trains the brain to be able to focus on complex things. Um, and pen tester jobs only account for 7% of the cybersecurity work. Uh, definitely agree there. Um, and yes, music is also very technical. Yes. Um, <laughs> w- when it comes to uh, some of the other roles that you think um we could just take your perspective, right? Cause you can't speak for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think often that's part of where this conversation goes wrong is people think that one perspective is the only perspective. Um, but for you, you mentioned that um, there's many other roles in cybersecurity. For you, which ones are the most interesting to you and why?
1: Oh, that's a good question. For me, I think, I think I've done everything except I am. <laughs> So for me, I, I didn't like being, being neurodiverse and struggling with social interactions. I didn't like being a manager too much. So that alone is a huge barrier for, for people who are neurodiverse, because quite frankly, for people who are neurodiverse like me, or, or even people who are not, some people quite frankly, might not wanna manage people. They could be just happier, just focusing on a technical side. So the career paths, and IT and cyber is still broken at many companies. Usually, like you work from the ground up, from uh, entry level to mid level, and then you advance to like manager and then executive positions. Like I don't, I I do not aspire to that at all because mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable being a manager. For me, I I aspire to be for a more technical role, like like a architect position, mm-hmm. where I don't have to manage people as much. I can imagine many others would as well. So it all comes down to individual needs and companies Companies need to do a better job to adjust the career pathways to to accommodate people who want a technical role, who do not want to be managing people. So that's another piece to it. And I like what you said earlier about the different cybersecurity roles. Because one thing that came to mind is RPG game, like the old school Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. If people play such games, that can also help to identify based on one's personality what would be the best job to them. Like if you're a healer, you'd be much, maybe better better in support role. Like, or do you want to be in a front line or or in a front line or or even a attack at range, so to mm-hmm. speak. So RPG games that explore these different roles or uh, how you say uh it, it just brings out your personality more when you play them, mm-hmm. which might then in turn help you to identify the cyber job for you.
0: Absolutely. And one of the comments um, back from Benjamin is that he prefers being a manager because uh, he can call the shots. And like we said, every, everyone's different. Yeah. Um, I personally love leading people. Um, I find that um, being able to inspire, grow, coach people, um, as much as I love the technical, um, I like to say I play between um, people, process and technology mm. uh, and become that translator. And being a people manager for me allows me to utilize the best resources uh, from my team for the specific task. Mm. And then that way um, we could get the best outcome uh, for, for the team as a whole. Um so so question for you. I, I know um we're about a half hour in. Um a lot of I've seen a lot of growth in the technical space into developing those tracks. You have the individual contributor tracks, which it sounds like you might be more towards where uh yes. you become a principal, then you become a staff, which is equivalent over to becoming a, a manager or a director. Um, in, in the other tracks and maybe architect is like the final stage, so to speak, hmm. um, when it comes to looking for new roles. Right. What are some of the challenges that that you faced outside of the interview process? Um, do you feel that uh, the way that roles are described makes it challenging for you to understand? Oh, yes. Or,
1: <laughs> let, let's talk
0: to that about let's
1: talk. To oh, them. yes. And you probably, that's a very important question, too. Because I think everyone knows the job description for cyber jobs, it's broken. It's really broken. But I remember even a entry-level job, uh, I remember very clearly, entry-level pen tester job, that one, and the right on job description, it requires OSCP, which is one of the top uh, cybersecurity certifications to get. And one of, the, one of the, it's one of the most prestigious and one of the hardest to get. <laughs> I've even seen some organizations, they require, like, say, uh, for entry-level. Like G Pen, for me that speaks to discrimination because a lot of people in certain demographics cannot afford a SAN certification or course. But also, like what I what, to solve that, what I want to see what would I I would want to see is a, a standardized framework, which I believe this and some some friends are working on a standardized framework to standardize the job descriptions across mm-hmm. the board, so that it's more realistic. Like, You don't need 10 years' experience to become an analyst for entry level. Like, come on. (laughs) Or, I've even seen some job description where for new futuristic technology just came out in the past month, the job description requires five years' experience in that new technology, which is ridiculous. No one's going to have that.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing um, a meme about the, the creator of Kubernetes going, yes. <laughs> oh, well, I, I guess I can't get a job working for this company because I only have four years of Kubernetes and they want 10, yes. and oh, well.
1: <laughs> but on that point, my best, when people see these high, this high wall, these, all these requirements, they get discouraged. Most people will not even apply for those jobs. The way I got my very first job, I ignored all that. I just applied, just apply for the job. Even if you can't do, like say 50% of the job, just apply for it because you'd be surprised. Because a lot of hiring managers in HR, to be honest, a lot of, a lot of people won't even know what all those acronyms even mean, to be honest. The important thing is get in the door, get into the interview and just show your enthusiasm, just Because sometimes the other piece to it is luck.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Luck. Sometimes you just got to get lucky. Oh, I got your response from Simon. Passion. (laughs)
0: Yep, yep, yep. And I recently just shared um, an HBR article that, that said the exact same thing. And when it comes to the way that I've been coaching and mentoring people over the years, it takes that same track as well. I personally have never applied for a job where I meet 100% of the the job description because that tells me one thing. I'm going to go in and I'll be cruising in that job. And I never want to take a job where I'm going to be going in and cruising. Um, some people might want that, right? But for me, I'm, go, I'm looking at a role and I want to meet 50, 60% of the job description. That way I have uh, 40 to 50% growth within that role. And I'm thinking like over the next two years so that I see myself growing in the role rather than stagnating and staying the same.
1: Yeah, mm, absolutely. And I think I, mer- I really remember there were studies done which looked at this along gender, gender lines. I think roughly like for men, even, even if they could do only 25% of the job, they apply anyway and they still get a job. Whereas women, if they get, cannot even do 50% of the job, that alone discourages them. That's why I very much encourage everyone, just apply for the job. But even better, if you know anyone who can refer you, that's even better because that cuts some of the red tape. Get the referral and get it.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about that. Um, knowing people, networking. Um, yes. I- I'm guessing for me as an introvert, that's that's been challenging. Um, I know I might not look like an introvert, but I'm – uh, sometimes very much introverted, and networking in person has always been a challenge. Um, online, I'm a little, little freer, been more comfortable with it. But what are some of the challenges when it comes to networking and meeting new people that um, individuals that are neurodivergent might have?
1: So, ironically, with the COVID pandemic, and we're all working from home now, that has provided a huge opportunity for. Diverse people like me, because I'm much more comfortable at working at home. So that, that'd be my advice. That's one piece of advice I have right there. Like you don't have to go to the conference. You don't you don't have to be in a place where you're not comfortable. Just stay in your comfort zone. Just take incremental steps. Like just participate in an online community or even a uh, session like this, just small group of small online meeting with on Zoom or whatnot. Just mm-hmm. get get the comfort result. In increments stay like it's where, stay comfortable
0: and, and when it comes to like the relationship building aspect which is critical um of networking how do you um how do you expose or discuss um your concerns with um your your neurodiversity because you don't want to be targeted you don't want to be ridiculed um Mm. i I know some people are fearful of that and um so what are some of the challenges when it when it comes to that because ideally if you're always small comfortable um you end up in the same group right so then you're not in a diverse group anymore everyone might be neurodiverse compared to the larger population, mm. but then you group amongst yourselves and you become the same. So w- what techniques do you have for going outside of that comfort zone um, to really be effective in networking?
1: Great question. The way I went about that, I took kind of like a, almost like an inverse approach. So last year I created a, I started a podcast called the Neurosec Podcast, mm-hmm. right? Interviewed many incredible people who, Are neurodiverse and work in cyber and that it kind of helps me in a way because by giving the opportunity for others to tell their stories it kind of kind of brought me out of the comfort zone a little bit and it made me a little more open to talk about my own experiences so that's how I address that and number two is just another outlet is social media or writing articles like we don't have to do it all in person we can just find our find a outlet where we can express ourselves, either podcasts or write articles or just posting on social media, that alone just can drive conversations. Uh,
0: absolutely. And some of the, the tips that I give, whether it is getting hiring managers attention, or demonstrating subject matter expertise is kind of like uh, picking a subject area and mm. doing a deep dive on it, doing a, a post or an article or a blog on it, and then um, sharing your approach because that could highlight to a potential hiring manager that they might be the talent that you're looking for.
1: Absolutely. And another thing that came to mind is another huge barrier for breaking into cyber is experience. Like when people see, Oh, we've got to, we need five to 10 years of experience for this entry-level role. I, I talked about this earlier, but, but volunteer work is also, it counts. And I don't think people are seeing that enough in the cyber world. This for me personally, I do a lot of volunteer work. <laughs> I'm on, currently on three, I think four boards now. <laughs> that that counts. But even in something as simple as going out into com- to the community, because if you think about it, when the hostile nation state when they want to say attack, like say a government agency or military facility, they don't attack directly. They spend their they take their time to attack the more vulnerable places like your mom and pop shop, your your, de- your local uh, grocery store, or your den- local dentist or your local flower shop. Cause they don't, they will not have cybersecurity controls in place or not as much. So by compromising them and and we can essentially uh, create an army of zombie or what's called a botnet. they can slave all of them together and launch a huge DDoS attack against government agencies but when people think about it, those type of agencies, those mom-and-pop stores, your local neighborhood businesses, they are not getting the support they need in terms of like cybersecurity or even basic security best practices. So that those are the areas which are a huge opportunity, which is often overlooked. So if you want cybersecurity experience, more cybersecurity experience, just get together with your buddies, just help your local committees to do these things, just like security awareness training or helping to understand best practices just having antivirus and patching small volunteer projects, look like at that, that counts as cybersecurity experience.
0: Absolutely. And that really ties into, um, there, there's been a change in the U S policy to ransomware and that came with an executive memo. And in that executive memo that was recently released, talked to some basic cyber practices and, Um, In some Slack channels that I've been in, people are like, well, we've been talking about these basic practices for years. I'm like, well, there's a reason that you're still (laughs) highlighting it is that people are still struggling with them, right? It's not revolutionary here, but um, it provides simple guidance for the mom and pop stores. And Mm. even that same guidance escalated to a medium size or enterprise company. If they can't follow that simple guidance... There, there's bigger trouble ahead. So um, use that same experience. Um, what are some of the other ways that you found to gain experience that was helpful for you in your career?
1: Uh, for me, it's mostly volunteer, but also, like, for example, when I reviewed my current position, they really enjoyed that. They enjoyed all my D&I work, all the things I'm doing, like supporting neurodiversity, when cyber. That was a huge, uh we call it, that's a big way how i differentiate myself from the pack Mm -hmm. a lot of people they don't do as much they just want to just work but that goes to show that some companies they care not just what you do in your current job but they also care about volunteer work and what you do outside of work it really does make a huge difference and uh, i think to your other point about discussing about helping company like the best practice like Best practices are out there, but I think one huge reason why a lot of companies are not following it is legacy. Legacy systems are just out there and just like that's where word I the term that's often used from this one show, big the big birth does. It's kinda of like a dark secret that people hide in their closets. But it's such system are just so critical to the functionality of a company that they don't want to touch it, they don't wanna upgrade it, they don't wanna break it, so they just ignore it and it's a huge, like, vulnerability right there. Hashtag mainframe. <laughs> um. <laughs> One crazy that I had out of history is something, if people uh, remember back in the day, the Marshall Plan, like, after World War II, the countries of Europe and were, the countries of Europe particularly were devastated. They were all, like, in ruins. And the U.S. led the way the Marshall Plan and loaning out money to these countries to help them to rebuild. I think that one thing that would help is something similar. If we had something similar to the Marshall Plan so that loans could be provided to companies to replace these legacy systems, get rid of these old vulnerabilities, I think you'll see a lot of, uh, we call it a lot of their security postures will improve dramatically, but alas, the money is a huge factor. So by providing it something similar to the Marshall Plan through like low, low interest rate loans, just having something like that in place, I think that will help. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I mean, it's it's the risk conversation that us cybersecurity professionals need to have. Um, Every day that you have a system that you don't patch it, it increases your technical debt. Um, And there's two ways to pay for technical debt. There's a business outage and there is um, doing it slowly and surely and doing it yourself. but Nathan, I really wanted to thank you. It was a great conversation. We've had lots absolutely. of interaction from the audience. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience that you might do for the community that you wanted oh, to bring up?
1: Absolutely, uh, my friend Carmen Marsh, he's had, she's hosting the Cybersecurity Women of the Year Awards on in Las Vegas on August the third. It's a great opportunity for for uh for people to, uh, especially women to. Network and meet amazing, incredible leaders and executives and professionals in cybersecurity because network, like you said, Chris, networking is just so crucial to getting that job. So it's a great. So you can go to the event and you can watch to see who's going to win, which which amazing win are going to win the awards. So it's a great opportunity. So that's be August third in Las Vegas.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I I know that you don't want to say this, but um, you've been a big promoter of um, bringing everyone into the community as possible. Uh, You mentioned that Microsoft has been a a huge supporter of yourself. So I'll give them a shout out for being so welcoming to the neurodiverse community. And thank you everyone for coming today and hope you all have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.